0: Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. Patient and provider safety are a priority here at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, but we know that provider burnout is well documented and has far-reaching consequences. That's why we're thrilled to announce the Joy and Work Results-Oriented Learning Network. Intended for healthcare leaders looking to increase staff engagement and improve the care experience for staff and patients, the network is designed for organizations willing to learn, test, and implement at scale strategies to improve joy. The Joy and Work Results-Oriented Learning Network will kick off in January of 2020, but if you head to IHI.org slash joy, you can register today for a free informational call with network faculty on November 15th at 11 a.m. Now, here's WIHI.
1: There's no shortage of news right now about burnout among American physicians and, to a lesser extent, the impact of today's stressful healthcare environment on nurses and other staff, too. The underlying issues are complex and multifaceted. Those eager to address the crisis offer a range of solutions, including helping practitioners build greater resilience in the face of so many challenges. At the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, the focus has been on developing systems-level solutions, starting with empowering frontline health professionals to speak openly about their concerns to one another and to senior leaders. That's very important. This is a key starting recommendation of IHI's Joy in Work framework and initiative. It's where we're going to start too on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI, an online podcast from IHI, available on ihi.org and on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. I have three people joining me to unpack how a cardiac ICU team at Michigan Medicine, that's part of the University of Michigan Health System, addressed some bad dynamics and low morale in that unit. They decided to give IHI's joy and work framework a try. Diane, very briefly, how bad had things gotten? What was the low point?
2: our unit had a reputation of negativity. Um, Our press Ganey scores were the lowest ranking um, in that tier. And physicians were warning other physicians prior to them ever meeting any of us and warning them about going to our unit that we weren't always nice. So we felt we needed some type of intervention.
1: So that's Diane Lopez telling it like it was. And let me introduce her and the others right now. Diane Lopez joined Michigan Medicine in 2016, where she is the clinical nursing director for 7C cardiology and 7D cardiac ICU. She has been working to create a culture change within the cardiac unit, partnering with the medical director other key members of a team, her team, and with IHI on Joy in Work initiatives. Jamie Beach is with Diane, and she is the Quality Data Manager, or I guess I should say Data Manager, at Frankel Cardiovascular Center, Michigan Medicine. Her position focuses on maintaining a large dashboard of clinical process and outcomes metrics. In addition, Jamie partners with clinicians uh, and helps facilitate quality Improvement and other pilots. And joining me in the studio is Jessica Perlow. She is the director of IHI's Joy in Work portfolio. So let's start by reminding some folks who've joined us and perhaps uh, those who are hearing about it for the first time tell us about the Joy in Work framework. What's it all about?
3: Sure. Um, Well, People often ask me why we call this joy in work, and sometimes they cringe when they do. Um, I, I get it. I get that it can feel like a chasm between the work they're doing every day and this topic of joy. What we're trying to do is reconnect individuals and teams to their purpose, to their why. And oftentimes our systems are set up in a way that prevents us from doing that, from experiencing meaning and purpose and choice and autonomy and safety, and equity. And so what we want to do and what we've been doing is using improvement methodology and a systems approach to support our partners in achieving uh, their results by focusing on their most important asset, their people.
1: IHI has stuck by joy through thick and thin, (laughs) rain, sleet, (laughs) and ice. And tell me why. Um, Because I guess the joy idea... Uh, how could that possibly be uh, an embodiment of the work that needs to be done to bring people out of the doldrums?
3: Yeah, it's so funny. I, actually, last time you introduced me, you said, just try not to take joy seriously around Jess, which is funny. Um, you know, I think the topic that gets a lot of attention these days is burnout. Um, and people uh, are are willing to focus on it um, in as much as it's uh, – preventing their ability to achieve tripling results. Uh, so people I think understand for the most part that there's a real link between uh, satisfaction and what they're seeing more commonly, actually in some estimates, 50 to 60 percent of their staff are experiencing symptoms of burnout, um, so emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, cynicism, a low sense of personal accomplishment. These are these are more common than not. And so when you think about that prevalence, our systems are perfectly designed to produce this, the results they're getting, and and they are producing burnout individuals. So I think what we have is a systems issue and something that we need um, a systems approach to address. So that's why IHI fits in this space so well. Um, and Derek Feely is our, our president and CEO, and he has encouraged us to think not just about mitigating, mitigating burnout, but also producing joy. Um, And so we we try to think about the factors that do both.
1: The joy and work framework, um, as I said, begins with this idea of um, creating the space to hear what's going on, um, which is often one of the things that's eroded uh, quite a bit is even the ways in which people may not be talking to one another at all they're they're so down. And tell me what's key about that, that opening up um, as a catalyst. And then we're going to hear about what uh, has been going on uh, at Michigan Medicine.
3: Yeah, I think Jamie and Diane will tell us a lot about this. Um, that first step of our framework, that what matters to you conversation has proven critical, uh, to this work. Oftentimes we assume we make, we know what makes for a good day for our colleagues, but we've never actually asked. Uh, so we make assumptions, but we've never made the time to uncover why they care about their work. What got them into this to begin with? And then, you know, okay, what are the pebbles in our shoes? So when we start to do, these What Matters conversations, we're giving people, uh, we're giving ourselves, first of all, an opportunity to reflect on, on our values um, and also communicate our shared interests. So from there, you start to build relationships in a way uh, where people are willing to contribute their time and their energy uh, to your shared goals. So I think it's foundational to the work.
1: And leaders are very important in that process. Yeah,
3: absolutely, yeah.
1: All right. Thanks, Jess. Okay, out to Michigan now. Uh, Diane Lopez, let's start with you. Take us back a few years. What was going on in the cardiac ICU that was less than ideal?
2: In the cardiac unit, I partnered with our medical director, Dr. Thomas, um, formerly Dr. Mohamed Kanan, um, along with our techs and nurses and fellows uh, and a whole multidisciplinary team. Uh, along with pharmacy, respiratory therapy, and our physical therapist. Uh, prior to me starting in 2016, there was a survey that was administered to our physician providers. The results were less than complimentary regarding the culture within our unit. They felt that people were mean and that there was a reputation of negativity within the CICU. I was given this survey results right when I started, knowing that we would definitely have some work to do. Uh, I was aware of this as there was not good commun- there was not good communication between nursing and our physician partners as I was getting consistent complaints from nursing staff as well as our physician partners about our communication and uh, reluct- reluctance to communicate effectively. So we knew at that point that we had to do some type of intervention to help improve our communication.
1: I was curious whether uh, patients picked up on tension in that area.
2: I'm not quite sure that our patients picked up because we would always try to bring our issues outside of the unit. I I think that staff We're always aware that we didn't want to do things in front of our patients.
1: All right. Let's fast forward now. You were just saying you decided you had to do something, and you did turn. You may have turned to several things, but you did turn to some of the early steps with Joy and Works. So tell us what you did.
2: This started out with a very engaged and committed group of five of us. So we had Jamie Beach from CVC Administration Our medical director at the time was Dr. Mohammed Kanan and our fellow was Dr. Rand Lee along with our supervisor Terry Roth. So that is the group that we started out with. So what we did is follow the white paper framework asking nursing in small unscheduled groups at different times what matters and what gets in the way of a good day. We also would ask them why they went into healthcare. And this actually gave us a great opportunity to learn things about some of our staff and about each other that we hadn't previously known, even though we worked with many of these people for many years. So that was really a very valuable conversation. Jamie then repeated this with a larger physician group. And when we compared the results, we found that we're much more alike than we are different.
3: That's incredible. And so how did this help you to address some of those comments around the culture?
2: I think that it helped us improve our communication. So we were not just working with one another as, you know, a nurse or a physician or a physical therapist. We were working with one another as people who had lives outside of work. And so we were learning to trust each other more and work with each other more and have a better understanding of each other.
3: Yeah, and a foundation to work from. What did you do from there?
2: So what... We um, decided to do following that IHI framework is we were charged with doing some small tests of change based on what we learned through our calls and what the staff were telling us with those what matter conversations. At this point, we created a motto for our unit um, which consisted of the information that they told us. So we wrote all of those things down. And so our motto that was created is that we're here to help, heal, and protect, be the best at what we do, support each other with positive attitudes, and continue to learn and grow. We would read this each morning at report to set the tone for the day. Uh, other interventions that we um, did were to include articles on lateral violence. We had a storyboard in our back room uh, about a joy in work journey, and we had a newsletter also talking about, about our progress and our joy in work efforts.
3: That's incredible. You so you for those listening in who are familiar with the framework, you're touching on pieces of physical and psychological safety, uh, which is foundational to the work, and also meaning and purpose by by creating a shared purpose and putting it front and center in your meetings. Um, when we when we spoke before, you mentioned. Uh, this was going to be another thing on your plates. How did you react to the request uh, on your time, and how do you address that now with your work?
2: So when we first start a project like this, it certainly takes commitment. So while it can be time-consuming when beginning, having a committed team makes it manageable as well as sustainable. In hindsight, we really feel strongly that our multidisciplinary team made this successful.
3: mm mm-hmm. And was it hard to engage across disciplines in that way? Or have you worked together successfully in the past?
2: I think that because we had committed uh, folks involved, it really helped drive that change uh, because our relationships amongst many of the disciplines needed some work. But we had leadership that was quite engaged and we had staff that really wanted to make a change.
1: Jess, can I ask you to define lateral violence? I want to make sure everybody knows what we're talking about there.
3: Let's ask our experts. How do you define it for your team?
2: I I think it was the relationships amongst one another uh, and the sharing of bad moods, not always being respectful of people's time or behavior towards one another. That's how we would define lateral violence.
1: Is that um, is the, violence seems pretty intense mm. as a concept. So I, I was just curious. Um, I know some, of course, it can really uh, put people off when folks take out their bad moods on one another. Why violence?
3: Sure. So um, I think they use the, the term violence because it's deliberate and harmful behavior that's demonstrated in the workplace by one employee to another. It's typically called lateral when it's displaced. So it's a peer-on-peer. Oftentimes we talk about it, minority-on-minority violence. And there's uh, really good reasons for this, unfortunately. There's definitely systemic causes of it. And it sounds like one of the things you did, Diane, was to first educate people on it. And I'm curious, did that turn into uh, a change in behavior for your teams?
2: I think it continued to raise awareness. We had the articles hanging, and so they were readily Mm. available. And I think people were interested in making a positive change because they were telling us in those what-matter conversations that we needed to be nice to one another.
3: Mm. Yeah, yeah, because that's what came up.
2: So those were their words and things that they felt were important.
3: Yeah.
1: Jamie, I'm curious, from where you're positioned or were positioned, was this... Easier or harder than you thought, given uh, the sort of acrimony and and the vibes uh, amongst uh, the clinical staff? Uh, How did you find, uh, once people were on some kind of a path, was it easier or harder?
4: I think the the biggest challenge was actually in getting started. So when uh, Diane and Terry and I uh, started that very first What Matters conversation I don't think any of us knew what to expect, frankly. And um, very quickly, as we spoke with people, uh, you could see that curiosity was rising with the others that happened to be working on the unit that day. And suddenly, the two people we were talking to became five people, and people were very curious. And you know, they wanted to know what we were talking about. And I think many people had never been asked why they went into healthcare or what really matters to them—sort of what fills their bucket. Uh, what brings them back every day. Mm. So the opportunity to share those things and then share the things that um, bring them down, the pebbles in their shoes, actually became, um, I like to say, almost like a group therapy session. Mm. And I found that that phenomenon uh, occurred over and over again with each session that we did. So it became easier and it became something that I actually really looked forward to as opposed to dreading because mm. I had no experience in this space.
3: I love that. I love the term fill, filling up your bucket. Say more
1: about the group's meeting separately.
4: Honestly, we approached it as a, a separate um, initiative only out of um, making it easy for ourselves because the logistics of getting all of the fellows in the room at the same time with all of the nurses was, would be very difficult. So we approached the nursing um, conversation sort of ad hoc as people were available to meet. We did this many, many times in the inpatient setting. And then we leveraged a pre-existing meeting with all of our first and second year cardiology fellows with their fellowship director. And um, we had an individual conversation with that group around what matters and what gets in the way. And um, as Diane mentioned before, as we reflect on these sort of parallel lists. Uh, from the different groups, it was incredibly striking. Um, the things that really matter were really the same. And we actually took photographs of the list and published them in our first newsletter. And it was empowering and still gives me goosebumps to this day to think about when you really peel back the onion and you find out what's at the heart of this work, it's exactly the same, whether you're a clerk or a um, technician or a nurse or a fellow, or a senior cardiologist.
1: In retrospect, what do you think uh, the tension um, was all about to begin with?
4: Um, We have learned that people really didn't know each other, frankly. I think they didn't understand each other's worlds. Uh, Everyone is dealing with their own tensions based on their role. And through this process over the last three years, people know each other and have a much more um, empathetic perspective when looking at another person, whether that's a physical therapist or a respiratory therapist, a nurse, or a physician.
3: I love that. And I think it's very common for us to have skipped that step years ago when we first met each other. And it's incredible you're making the space and time for it now. Um, you mentioned that some of the results you've seen have been uh, uh, anecdotal. Have you, have you surveyed? Do you have any data to show the effects of your efforts?
4: Um, absolutely. Um, if if it's appropriate, I'd love to share um, one of the efforts that we're we're really proud of um, kind of before we talk about results. Oh, absolutely. I think all of us believe it's been the most um, impactful piece of our work. Um, so after those initial small tests of change that Diane uh shared, we were really fortunate to receive a small grant from our uh cardiovascular center directors. And this allowed us to think a little bit bigger about what we might want to do in terms of interventions. And uh, we recalled the work uh, regarding interventions to promote physician well-being um, that was done at Mayo by Colin West, Tate Shainafelt, and colleagues. And uh, their work was referenced during one of our IHI joint work calls. Um, and as we looked at the structure into their um, of their published uh, trial, we decided that we could stage sort of a smaller version of this. Um, by bringing in our CICU multidisciplinary team to talk about different topics each month. And um, we this has been the most incredible experience for everyone involved. Um, So while we initially leveraged uh, sort of a counselor from our Office of uh, Counseling and Workplace Resilience to help facilitate, um, over time these conversations have actually shifted
2: to be led by a fellow and a charge nurse. And I would have to agree with Jamie. These lunches have been very rewarding. They have helped improve communication and collaboration. And we're so fortunate to have such a engaged medical director who helps consistently look at different topics after talking to the group. So Dr. Michael Thomas is very engaged, and we feel very fortunate that he helps continue to lead these efforts and join in work.
3: That's incredible. And it sounds like the um, understanding and just leadership acumen of doctors Thomas and Kanan have been critical. What would you say to others who might be struggling to engage their leadership in this work?
2: That it takes a multidisciplinary approach. Everyone's here to do a good job, and we all have a lot of challenges. But we really feel strongly that because we've had such a great partnership, that has what Mm. That is what has made it successful.
1: What kinds of things, getting back to uh, Jess's question, what kinds of things have you measured or tracked uh, that you already see uh, some results, and what are you continuing uh, to follow?
4: So our organization uh, does an annual employee engagement survey of all staff, and uh, in our 2016 baseline year, uh, 35% of uh, CI. CICU staff recommended uh, the unit as a good place to work. Um, In March of 2018, that increased to 67.3%. And uh, in March of 2019, our most recent survey, 86.5% of staff would recommend
2: ICU as a good place to work.
3: Congratulations. Have you seen a difference in who's sticking around? Any difference in turnover?
2: I would say yes. Sometimes we see turnover due to educational leaves uh, and things like that, but we have a lot of staff that have been here for many years, and we have other staff that are trying to get into the CICU now (laughs) because they're hearing about great things that are going on.
3: That's wonderful.
1: Are you hoping that you might be able to duplicate this and offer... um, options, and uh, some tools to others uh, in, in the health system?
2: We would say yes, definitely. So we've actually
4: um, been sharing this through uh, our organization's Quality uh, Month Celebration, and we um, actually went out to one of our affiliate organizations and shared um, our work there. So there's a definite uh, interest in this topic and sort of replicating the success in our ICU.
1: I want to ask uh, Jess and, and both you, Diane and Jamie, please uh, chime in. When there's talk of burnout, it's somewhat talked about or it's understood as a very individual uh, situation. In this case, we've been talking about, I guess, a somewhat toxic work environment that was really impacting everyone – I don't know whether we would say technically people were burned out. But make a connection uh, for me between uh, this idea of burnout, which is often the centerpiece of what folks say we're addressing, and low morale and miserable dynamics uh, in, in a medical unit.
2: I think if you have those conversations and then, like Jamie says, you try to peel back the onion are there things that you can impact? So I think when we follow along on that framework, the whole idea is to task local leaders to see what things they can impact or what things they can change. So, for example, one thing within our unit we knew we had to work on was communication. So we were having our residents rotate through very frequently. And so there was a lot of frustration about them not necessarily knowing things that were specific to our unit. So a unit brochure was created to explain certain things based on the input from the nursing staff of important factors that the residents would need to know when they came to our unit. And so we implemented that based on feedback from the staff. So trying to implement those small things help to drive the change. It's those types of system things that can really pose challenges to anyone providing care if they don't always know those little types of things that are important. And that can sometimes add to the burnout and the stress on the unit. So I think having conversations and learning more about what those frustrators are can totally impact and decrease burnout.
3: What I love about your approach has been really what a lot of folks struggle with, with step three of the framework, which is committing to a systems approach to making joy and work a shared responsibility um, at all levels of the organization. And so what we're talking about is creating partnerships multidisciplinary when they're possible and opportunities for people to come together and share responsibility for for removing these impediments to joy. And so oftentimes we talk about how it's senior leaders' responsibility to achieve and, it, and make sure folks are experiencing joy at work. But the second part is really about that shared and overlapping responsibility that we have at all levels. And what I love about your work is how you found a role for everyone to play um, in co-creating the space they wanna be in every day. Um, I wanted to ask, I know Michigan received an award a safety award for um, central line infections and falls. Um, can I ask if there was a link between this and the joy work?
4: As you mentioned, um, during this time, sort of a this 2016 to 2018 timeframe, we, we have seen a significant um, reduction in hospital-acquired conditions in the ICU. And while each um, hospital-acquired condition has its own set of best practices, Our team really believes that by improving communication between physicians and nurses and support staff and through greater teamwork um, through this Joy and Work effort, that has really helped to facilitate reduction in in hacks.
3: Incredible. Congratulations.
1: Well, I'm going to send out a big thank you to two people in the state of Michigan and your uh, other colleagues and team members. Uh, Diane Lopez and Jamie Beach and a big thank you to Jess Perlow here, uh, at IHI in Boston for helping us navigate this great work. Uh, lots more stories we hope, uh, in, in time, uh, to come. And we hope everyone will take advantage of learning, uh, from these examples and others that we will continue to provide. So big thank you to all of you. Next up on WIHI, we're going to be talking about best practices in the emergency department for people with behavioral health issues. You can find information about that on IHI.org. If you're interested in any of the resources and references that were mentioned on this podcast, you can find some links and other materials on the WIHI archive pages on IHI.org. this podcast, which is dated November seventh, twenty nineteen, and consider becoming a subscriber to the Apple Podcast feed, on uh, so that you can regularly get WIHI. and you can subscribe under the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And Jess, uh, before we go, there's lots of resources uh, on our website about joy and work.
3: Yeah, thank you, Madge. Thank you, Diane and Jamie. Um, they referenced in Michigan's work being a part of our Finding and Creating Joy in Work virtual course, which I IHI offers twice a year. And there's one going on right now, actually. Um, and folks are, are welcome to visit the website to learn more about that. And a results-oriented learning network is brand new for IHI. We're launching it in January. We're looking for a smaller number of teams for a longer period of time than the virtual course just to see if over time we can't get to some more results together because we know we're better together. So the idea there is um, folks can commit at a systems level to partnering with IHI on joy and well-being. And we welcome folks to get in touch to learn more about that as well. And as you mentioned, there's the white paper and a track at our national forum. So lots of opportunities to create joy together.
1: Any questions whatsoever, you can always email info at IHI.org. And folks there will point you in the right direction. So again, Diane and Jamie, thank you. Thank you, Jess. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.
0: Thanks for listening to WIHI. You just heard that clinician burnout is at a record high, but Joy & Work is attainable. That's why we're proud to invite you to join the Joy & Work track at this year's IHI National Forum. With sessions and courses designed to equip you with the quality improvement methods and tools to improve joy and beat burnout, you won't want to miss it. IHI's National Forum is being held this December from the 8th to the 11th in Orlando, Florida. I'll be there in my blue shirt, as will several of today's guests and many speakers from past WIHI programs. To learn more, head to IHI.org forum.